Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Hello, welcome back to the podcast, Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church. We are now on, I believe, episode 18 in our second quarter. Our focus this quarter is on God himself. Today I have with me Andrew Walden, and thank you, Andrew, for being here again. And it's great to be back. Yeah. So today we want to talk about something that is, maybe I always say this because this is what preachers do to get you to focus, is try to make things seem very extreme and the most important of all time. However, I think I can say with justice this time that we are talking about what is probably most important here at Faith Bible Church. We are talking about a high view of God. And one of the reasons I think most important here is simply years ago, when Eric Koher was the associate pastor here, I was not in leadership so I was not a part of this, but the elders worked together, I think under Eric's leadership, came up with a single-page document, and it had our vision statement, which I love our vision statement, and then it had, it's actually hard to find this document, we need to probably put it out places, but then it had 10 distinctives of Faith Bible Church, and then it had 10 something else, and um, it's so hard to find this document, I don't even remember what those are. They're either like core beliefs or values or something like that. But what stood out to me from that document is the first distinctive of Faith Bible Church is a high view of God. And then you have nine other distinctives. When you go to the values or core beliefs of Faith Bible Church, they're different than the distinctives, except the first one. The first one is, yet again, a high view of God. So we really are talking about something that, not just in the whole scheme of life, but even here at Faith Bible Church, is very significant significant to us. So I want to begin, again, in a flesh and bones way, by just throwing this over to you, Andrew. We're talking about a high view of God today, and probably a lot of people who hear this are familiar with that kind of language. When did you yourself first encounter this idea of a high view of God, and when did this develop in you? So I've I've not always had a a high view of God. I would almost say that I had like a medium view of God. Like it was never a point where I questioned God, whether God existed or you know, any of those things. Uh, always had a basic understanding of like his attributes and things like that, but I'd never really regarded them to the level that they should have been. Um, I would say that really where I came into contact with having an understanding of what, what a true high view of God was, was while I was in the army. Um, through some circumstances that happened there, I kind of fell into kind of a, kind of a spiritual depression where it wasn't necessarily like I was questioning whether there was a God, but it was more of like questioning his goodness, questioning, um, his plan, things like that, based off of what I was seeing around me. And while I was going through that, um, I came upon the end of Job. At the end of Job, that's what really threw my understanding into what a high view of God truly is. And, that, and the text that really brought me to that was Job 38. And that's actually pretty much the entire chapter, but the first five verses is what really hit me. In the first five verses, you see, Then the Lord answered Job, and out of a whirlwind said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measures? 
surely you know, or who stretches the line upon it. So having that understanding that like where we are in the scheme of things compared to where God is in the scheme of things, that's what really pushed me into this understanding of, okay, I'm a lowly man. He is a holy and righteous God. Yes, I don't understand what's going on, but he does. And it's not for me to understand. It's for me to follow him and understand that that is where I need to be, is following a high view of God and following a high and glorious God. What a powerful and shocking passage to encounter that through. (laughs) But if you think of these passages like that one or Romans 9, uh, they're powerful, powerful passages. And they really, it's easy to maybe ignore them when we have low or medium, which I would be myself as well growing up medium view of God, but those passages are in the Bible to accomplish that very thing in our lives. So it's neat to hear how it happened for you. You know, talking about a high view of God and our distinctives, about six years ago, I had first just become an associate pastor, so Eric had left, and so they had, I'd finished my internship here, so it was very natural to just put me in his position. And so I became an associate pastor here, and at that time, kind of like you right now, Andrew, man, you just became an elder, and all of us, our hearts rejoice, and you're figuring out, what am I going to emphasize? What am I going to focus on? And that's where I was as well, and I remember, I thought, well, I'll just go through this document they put together, I'll work my way through the distinctives, and spend time really immersed in the scriptures that go with them. And they were already things I really cared about, but just making sure I'm on track with the vision of the church and the leadership. So the first distinctive there is a high view of God. And I don't remember if these are passages that are listed there or if I just, I think I may have just thought in my mind, I'm going to pick the one passage in the Old Testament and the one in the New that most emphasizes this high view of God, and I'm going to study it in depth. So I was sitting here in this office, and uh, so I was taking a high view of God, and I start in the Old Testament. And I look at Isaiah chapter 40 and the chapters following. If you want a high view of God, you know, earlier in Isaiah, you have some of that too, but right there. And that's the passage that I read to begin this. Behold your God. You see that in verse 9, but then the chapters that follow, God is contrasted with the idols. You have the idea of God. He can take all the oceans. They go in the palm of his hands. No problem. All the nations are just like dust on the scales. So it's really a remarkably high view of God. It's like the end of Job, which may have been a good alternative. But So I was looking at that passage. I was using a commentary, Alec Motier, one of the, probably the best commentary I've ever read on anything, on Isaiah. And I'm working my way through trying to internalize this. That was very rich. Then sitting at this desk, I also go, what's the passage in the New Testament? And I'm drawn to Revelation chapter 1, because here you have a picture of really Christ as God. And it's similar to what you find in the Old Testament prophets. He's glorious. So here's Revelation 1, 12 through 16. Jesus is telling the apostle John to write these things down, the book of Revelation. And John, it says, turn to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. 
I love that. <laughs> I really love that a lot. I mean, I know some of that imagery is maybe odd to us, but it's just a picture of the glory of God here in Christ. So I was studying those and trying to internalize those, and that marked the beginning of my time at Faith Bible Church. Really, we have on the side of the auditorium, when you're looking at the person preaching, they're on the side, the five Reformation solas that are listed. And if you go, I believe it's the it's either the top or the bottom one. I think the bottom one there is the Latin phrase, soli deo gloria. And in some ways that summarizes a high view of God, what we're talking about today. Soli means only deo to God, gloria be glory. The idea is God alone has glory, God alone is glorious, like you see in Isaiah 40 onward, like you see in Revelation chapter 1. God is glorious. We're not. God is. When I think of a high view of God then, I was trying to immerse myself in it then, but even six years ago, I was immersing myself in it to have it more in my mind, but I could say this of Faith Bible then, I could say this of Faith Bible now. This podcast is not primarily meant to point the finger and say, Faith Bible, you need a high view of God. Partly it's to say, I think Faith Bible has a high view of God. (laughs) It's actually the thing that most encourages me about this church and always has since I've been here is by God's grace, soli deo gloria, to his glory alone, there really is a high view of God here. So we're talking about a high view of God, but we haven't really defined it in any way. And so if someone's wondering, okay, there's a high view of God here. What does that even mean? What does that look like? What is a high view of God? Andrew, what is a high view of God? So I would say that uh, someone that had a high view of God would be less focused on themselves and to use the word to define the word, have a higher focus on God. So when we like compare and contrast it with the culture. So the culture for years has said, okay, if we push the line on, you know, subject X just a little bit further, we'll find happiness. And then they push that line. And then what we see is higher levels of depression, higher levels of suicide, higher levels of crime and anger and just society going after each other. And they say, okay, well, that didn't work. It's because we didn't push it far enough. So they pushed a little bit further. And what we see is that it's just a continual focus on themselves. It's a continual focus on what's going to make me happy. Well, if you're making yourself happy, you're probably making everyone else mad. Whereas if you have a God-centered and God-focused life, it is not what makes me happy. It's what is obedience to God and understanding that living your life in obedience to God and his glory and his might and all the attributes you can throw in there if you have that focus, you have joy. You don't have happiness. You have joy. And there's a big difference between happiness and joy. So a person with a God-centered life will be focused on things that glorify God rather than themselves. Mm-hmm. And we see in multiple places, like in Romans, you have Romans 8, 5 through 6, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So we see that setting your mind on the spe- or on the flesh, you, it just leads to death. It leads to that anger and that depression, and that suicide and all that kind of stuff we just talked about. Whereas if you set your mind on the spirit, you set your mind on things of God, it's, it's peace. It brings you just a, a true peace within yourself that you can't be explained by the outside world. Yeah. Abs- wow. I mean, well said. That's, Precisely. And that idea of spiritual mindedness that you bring up here, I mean, 
we've talked about that before on this podcast, that is a high view of God. It has to do with having a God, a picture of God, having a picture of God that is close enough to the reality that it's not boring. And I do think a part of our lack of spiritual mindedness is because we have views of God that are too low and ignoble. They're not worthy of him. And therefore, other things are louder, whether that's things in the news or whether that's entertainment, that's movies, that's anything, you know. And the world becomes loud, and we don't have a God loud enough to overcome that. But when you encounter the God at the end of Job, he's loud enough. (laughs) He's certainly loud enough for Revelation 1 or Isaiah 40. Like That God is not a part of your life or some Americanized evangelical version of a grandfatherly figure that you add on. That's We're not talking about that kind of a God, and you may find that God in churches, but that's that's just unrealistic. That's an unrealistic picture of who God is as the Bible reveals him to be. And if you have a view of God as he is, then this spiritual mindedness follows because you're deeply interested in him. You know, we are created to behold his glory. And when we see his glory and see him as glorious, we are drawn to him. So thus far for a high view of God, It is a part of Faith Bible Church, and it's our hope it will always be and increasingly be so, have such a large, captivating view of God through the scriptures, not made up, that our minds are always drawn to him. I want to shift a little bit now and talk about, well, what effect will this have on us or anyone if they move, like you did, from a medium view or a low view of God into a high view or what I just call a realistic view of who God is? If we start thinking that way, or if any church or any group of people or any person starts thinking this way, what are some of the changes that will follow? I've got two here. I believe you've got two as well, so we're going to have you share those after. So let me give the two that I think of. The first one I think of comes to my mind because of what took place in this office six years ago. It was really powerful. I'm looking at Isaiah 40. I'm looking at Revelation 1. And something I did not expect to happen happened, as often occurs when you're dealing with God, I suppose. It is, I was studying Isaiah 40, then I was studying Revelation 1. I love this glorious high view of God I found there, especially in Revelation chapter 1. And you may have noticed in Revelation 1, as I did, there are these sevens, seven stars in his hand, but there's also seven golden lampstands. And so I'm imagining Jesus with seven lampstands around him, best I can, thinking, why? (laughs) Well, it actually tells us later in Revelation 1, it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Those are the churches in Asia to whom the book of Revelation was written, and chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are those letters to those churches. And you see Jesus walking among the lampstands in Revelation 1, and the commentary I'm reading says, well, he's walking among them, trimming the lamps, taking care of them, because that's exactly what you have in chapters 2 and 3. So here's this glorious vision of Christ. Wow. And this glorious Christ is actively taking care of these churches. The first of the churches that the letter is to, it is written to Ephesus. And this is the one I maybe most resonated or resonate with. And you know the famous warning there. He he commends them. He says in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, I know you're enduring patiently. 
and bearing up for my namesake. So there's the glorious Christ of chapter one. His face is shining. His eyes are fire. And he's saying, good job. You've not grown weary. Good job. And then verse four. Here's how he takes care of the lampstand. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Some people will take that to mean their love for God or something else. I I actually understand that as probably you could put anything there that was evidence of your zeal for Christ or for God that you then leave behind as time goes on. And for me at that time, six years ago, I'm thinking of this for myself and Faith Bible, and I think, you know what? What was it that I was so excited about when I first saw God in his glory in the gospel and now I'm not. For me, it's evangelism. It was evangelism six years ago. In some ways, it still is, although I've, I've hopefully grown in that. It was something I used to talk about Jesus to lost people all the time, and then it just kind of chilled out. So I see this glorious Christ, this high view of God. He's got my attention and looking at me saying, why don't you share the gospel anymore? <laughs> it's like, oh, you got me. That's true. So I do think... And that really helped, actually, and what followed were several ways in which I then actively changed and shared the gospel more. And uh, and that's an ongoing process. So I do think one evidence that we have a high view of God is not this hyper-Calvinistic, holy huddle, hide ourselves away, and we don't share, we just study God. No. To the contrary, this glorious God is actively pruning his churches. And I think one evidence when you have a church that has a high view of God practically is that they are zealous to make this glorious God known to others. So evangelistic zeal would be an evidence of a high view of God. And then one other briefly that always stands out to me is people who have a high view of God live holy lives. They do. It's just how it is. It reminds me of an amazing passage in Exodus 20 verse 20. Moses says to the people, God has come to test you there on Mount Sinai that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. God appears, trumpets, fire, earthquake on Sinai. Everyone's terrified. They fall to the ground. They say, don't let us go near there. And Moses says, don't be afraid. That's how he starts it. Don't be afraid. He came that you might be afraid, (laughs) that you might fear him with a right reverence, a high view of him. And the consequence will be that you don't sin against such a glorious God. So there's two evidences that you have a high view of God. Andrew, could you give us a couple more? Yeah, so mine uh, kind of play off each other and actually had a little bit to do with your last one there. But the two that I thought of were humility and a commitment. So you have humility where you have a, a right understanding of where you are, like we discussed earlier with like Job. So you have a right understanding of where you are in the grand scheme of things. So you have this humility of also understanding that uh, you have you had no no ability to gain the salvation that's been freely given to you. So when you have that right understanding of what God has done for you and how holy God is, it puts you in your place to understand that you should have a humble life. And a couple of verses came to mind. The first one that came to mind was uh, Colossians 3.13, bearing, bearing with one another, and, in, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So you have that humility of understanding that you've received this free forgiveness. You need to 
be compassionate with others and have that forgiveness. The way that you have that is having an understanding that you're a lowly man. God is a holy God and he has forgiven you. So why can't you forgive your brothers? And then you also have first uh, Timothy one, 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So you have Paul, who's probably one of the greatest theologians that's ever lived, saying that he is the foremost sinner. The reason he can say that is because he had that high view of God and knowing what God has done for him. And then the other one that I had is is that commitment. So you have a deep commitment to your fellow believers, to your local body, that is a kind of a shift from what you would have been when you had a high view of yourself. Because if you have a high view of yourself, then on a Sunday morning, it's going to be, well, what's going to make me happy today? It's probably not going to be going to church if it's you're focused on yourself. If you have a high view of God, you understand that it doesn't matter really what I think is going to make me happy. What I need to do is be surrounded by believers and hearing the word so that I can understand more and more about this amazing God that I know. But that also bleeds into having a commitment to be in the word daily. If you want to have a high view of God, you have to know who God is. And a way that you know who God is is by this amazing gift that he's given us, which is the Bible. And if he's going to tell you who he is and you want to know who he is, then you have to be in the word daily. And you have to be in communion with him daily. So you have to be continually going in awe to the Lord with prayer so that you can obediently communicate with him as he's told us we have to do. So when you have that high view of God, you have that commitment to God that allows you to understand that you're lowly and he's holy. So listener and hearing this, it may be that in the past you had a medium view of God or a low view of God. If you want to know if you do, you can look at those evidences we've given. Are those in your life? Or even just, do you think about God very much? If you don't, you have a low view of him. It may be that you have a low or medium view of God. He's not incredibly interesting to you. That may be how you thought of him in the past, some grandfatherly figure or important but not the most important person or being in your life. You may have thought that in the past, but may God help you through his word and the power of his spirit and hopefully a little bit through a podcast like this now to change your thinking from that and to think this way. Mm